great thing. The lovemaking and connection were a bit of an anticlimax. A woman had to yield. A man was like a child with his appetites, but a woman could yield to a man without yielding her inner free self. A woman could take a man without really giving herself away. Rather, she could use this sex thing to have power over him. For she only had to hold herself back in sexual intercourse and let him finish and expend himself without herself coming to the crisis, and then she could prolong the connection and achieve her orgasm and her crisis while he was merely her tool. When the girls came home for the summer holidays of 1913, when Hilda was 20 and Connie 18, their father could see plainly that they'd had the love experience. But he was a man of experience himself and let life take its course. However, came the war, Hilda and Connie were rushed home again after having been home already in May to their mother's funeral. Before Christmas of 1914, both their German young men were dead, whereupon the sisters wept and loved the young men passionately, but underneath forgot them. They didn't exist anymore. Connie did a mild form of war work. Her friend was a Clifford Chatterley, a young man of 22, who'd spent two years at Cambridge, now he'd become a first lieutenant in a smart regiment. Clifford Chatterley was more upper class than Connie. Connie was well-to-do intelligentsia, but he was aristocracy. His father was a baronet, and his mother had been a viscount's daughter. But the peculiar, soft assurance of a girl like Constance Reed fascinated him. She was so much more mistress of herself in that outer world of chaos than he was master of himself. So Clifford married Connie and had his month's honeymoon with her. It was the terrible year 1917, and they were intimate as two people who stand together on a sinking ship. Early in 1918, Clifford was shipped home, smashed, and there was no child. There had been no welcome home for the young squire, no festivities, no deputation, not even a single flower. Only a dank ride in a motor car up a dark, damp drive, burrowing through gloomy trees, out to the slope of the park where grey, damp sheep were feeding, to the knoll where the house spread its dark brown facade and the housekeeper and her husband were hovering like unsure tenants on the face of the earth, ready to stammer a welcome. There was no communication between Ragby Hall and Tevishal, the local village. None. No caps were touched, no curtsies bobbed. The colliers merely stared. The tradesmen lifted their caps to Connie as to an acquaintance and nodded awkwardly to Clifford. That was all. Gulf impassable. It wasn't that she and Clifford were unpopular. They merely belonged to another species altogether from the colliers. Gulf impassable, breach indescribable. Clifford was absolutely dependent on her. He needed her every moment. Big and strong as he was, he was helpless. He needed Connie to be there, to assure him he existed at all. 
Still, he was ambitious. He'd taken to writing stories, curious, very personal stories about people he'd known. Clever, rather spiteful, and yet, in some mysterious way, meaningless. The observation was extraordinary, but there was no actual contact. It was as if the whole thing took place in a vacuum. These stories appeared in the most modern magazines and were praised and blamed as usual. But to Clifford, the blame was torture, like knives goading him. It was as if the whole of his being were in his stories. It was in Constance's second winter at Ragby, her father said to her, I hope, Connie, you won't let circumstances force you into being a semi-virgin. Unless, of course, he added hastily, you like it. To Clifford, he said the same when the two men were alone. I'm afraid that...